Welcome to City Life Church Podcast. Our desire is that all may come to know Christ and fulfill their purpose in life. We welcome you to head over to our website for more information. God bless you and enjoy the message. Good morning. Amen. Anybody doing good in the Lord today? Come on, anybody feeling pretty good today? Amen. Is God good today? Amen. You think he deserves a hand praise? Okay, let's just give him one. Amen. I really appreciate the opportunity to be before you again today. So thank you for allowing me to share with you. Thank you to Pastor Steve and for the opportunity. I love the Bible and I love the word of God. And I'm still getting used to the fact that, okay, we have phones when we come to church. So I'm, I'm trying to learn how to just tell you where we are. I don't know if you have something to follow us along in, but we'll be reading from the book of Hebrews today. We'll read a little bit in Job, and we'll read a little bit in perhaps Second Timothy and maybe Romans, okay? So if you want to try to get to some of those, I think there's going to be a couple slides on the board. You can put the first one up there and just kind of hold it, and they're going to have a task following me along. So it may not go as smooth as I would love to have it go, but... You'll tolerate us, right? Okay. How many of you really love Jesus? Okay. Now, how many of you at the point in your life as a believer where you really, really want to grow? You want to, you want to grow. You want to see God's uh, power more prevalent in your life. Is that true for you? And I'm the kind of person I just don't, I just can't enjoy just going to church just to be going. I want to grow. I want to get something out of it. I want to experience God. Does that make sense? And so I'm hoping that uh, most of you are that way too. And I enjoyed the message Pastor Earl gave last week about the advantages we have as believers in the kingdom. The home court advantage he gave the analogy of, right? And uh, he said, we have to understand that we are seated in heavenly places with Christ. Is that right? And that's kind of a stretch for our imagination sometimes because I live down here, right? And stuff is happening, right? But it's a stretch for us to try to keep in mind that we are right now seated in heavenly places. That's hard for us. And I talked with you last time I talked about trusting God's good. I want to kind of keep in that same thought with a little bit of explanation or maybe take us a little further in it, but trusting God's good. The purpose and the point of it is God has a definition of good that's different than mine and yours. Does that make sense? There are things that I would choose for myself because I think they're good that God would not choose because when God looks at good, he's not looking at just good to Tony, good for Tony. He's looking at good all the way around. Good that not only does well for Tony, but blesses others too and carries forth his kingdom. Does that make sense? And so I kind of alluded to the fact that maybe there's about two things that I can almost be sure that God's always doing. Number one is he's trying to grow us into the image of Christ. Is that right? Trying to bring us into the image of Christ. And do you know God would not settle and sit and let us stay where we are? How many of you know that? That God will bring you into the image of Christ. The Bible says he's, he's determined to deliver you and I before God blameless and faultless. 
That's his determination. They're just going to deliver us that way. It's not just up to me and you to get there, but it's up to you and I to cooperate with God. Does that make sense? The other thing God is doing constantly is he's expanding his kingdom. Is that right? God wants the world to be saved, even the people I don't like. And that's kind of hard for me sometimes. God wants everybody to be saved. And there are some folks I met, I don't know how they're going to get saved because they seem so far and so locked up and so... But God knows how to save people. Is that right? So when we talk about trusting God's good, one of the things that I learned and hope to communicate is stop fighting situations that don't look good or feel good to you. Stop struggling against situations that do not look good or feel good to you. You don't know if you're fighting God's plan. And I hope to prove that a little bit in scripture here today. Is that all right? So I also said to you last time, circumstances, circumstances, when circumstances happen to you and I, they challenge our definition of God and of God's goodness. So I think he's good and I think I got everything together and then all of a sudden life happens to me. Now I come into question, is God who I really thought he was? Can he really do what I thought he could do? Is he really with me like I thought he is? is he re- does he really have the power I think he has? Soon as something happens, our confidence, our view of God is challenged. Does that make any sense? Come on, keep up with me now. I got to hear you. If I don't make sense, I'm going to sit down. Okay? And so you got to tell me. If I make no sense, just do this. All right? So one of the things that I, Pastor Earl pointed out last time was that all Scripture... All of it is God breathed. And he pointed out that it's good for correction and instruction and reproof and training in righteousness. And God has a purpose for that. What I have to understand is if I don't accept or expect from my personal study of the scripture that God wants to do something in me and bring me to another level, I'll just read them. And I'll forget that God wants to train me and correct me. There are some things I'm wrong about, and I don't know it. And God wants to challenge that. There are some ideas I have about God that they are totally wrong. I mean, over the years, I've been preaching for a little while, and I remember some of the first sermons. I wish I could take them back. (laughs) Some of them I can't take back. I just pray that those people who heard me are still okay. I mean, man, some of the stuff I used to think that was what he was saying, and it wasn't. Does that make sense? How many of you know God got some correction he could do in you? Is that all right? You and I have the problem as human beings of latching on to an idea and holding it as true without really examining it. And when you have an ideal about God and it's not true, God will bring you to a place where you have to examine it. He will not allow you and I to go around with a false ideal about him and live a false testimony and make other people believe falsely about him. Does that make any sense? I got to get the right ideal about God. And in order to do that, I got to approach God with an objective point of view where I'm saying, okay, God, you're right. I'm wrong. Show me. I don't go to the Bible to prove that I'm right. See, there, there it is right there. And that's, that's how I used to do it too. All right? So what I want to do is kind of go through a few points to try to draw some 
perspective for you and I on what to do next. And I always struggle with because I think everything that we do in front of you ought to have some purpose or outcome for you. So the objective here today, if I were to leave you with an objective today, is I'm challenging you and I to raise our view of God. Raise, elevate your view of God. Elevate your view of God. Listen, if you want to grow as a Christian, you can stop trying to do all the right things. That doesn't work. What has to happen is your view of God has to change. How you view God will affect how you live. Does that make any sense? The picture of God you hold in your head determines how you view life. Whatever you see as God, that determines the decisions you make and the choices you make and how you feel about people and how you feel about things. Your picture of God has to change. Tell me if that's making any sense. Okay. What's your picture of God? How do you see God? What do you see when you think God? What's your picture of a good Christian? What do they look like? Do they look like somebody you can point over and say, that's a good Christian over there. Not me because I have trouble. But that person over there, that's a good Christian because of A, B, C, and D. Is that how you define a good Christian? What's a good church? Is this a good church? Yeah, it's a good church because we do this and we do that and we do this and we do that. Have you ever measured it by the word of God to see if it agrees with God's definition of good? Or are we just trying to keep it at our level of understanding of good? I don't know. What are you doing every day as a believer? What should a Christian be doing every day? How should we be carrying out our life? Are we doing it the right way? I don't know. But I got to let the word of God challenge me. Would you agree? Okay, so we're going to read a little bit. What is your picture of God and what do you know about God? Go to this next slide for me. Difficult circumstances. Anybody recently been through some difficult circumstances, been through some challenges? Yeah, yeah. How about if you didn't call yours difficult, it was just a little challenging. Catch you off guard. Maybe it wasn't something too big that you get to have prayer about it, but it was so big that it kind of messed up your day a little bit. You been through those kind of things? Okay. Anybody ever met some people in your life that you wonder why I meet these people and they're probably just as a, a little problem, if you would, with that way. And you come across these people, maybe at your job or whatever. You ever thought about that? Why these people come into your life? Difficult people. You ever thought about that? Little things happen. Last time we talked about providence. Providence is how God works through everything that's happening and still accomplishes his will. Providence, the timing. I don't know if the message that you're hearing is really what's going to work or the timing or the words or someone else's testimony or what day it is. I don't know, but God works everything together to bring about his purpose, right? So I have to understand and believe that. Go to the next slide for me. So here's where we get into our challenge. In the book of Job, we're going to read a little bit because there was a perfect man who was a perfect Christian and had a perfect Christian family. He was so perfect. He was probably the best example of a believer in his days, according to chapter 1 of Job. Can you go there with me? When you think about this, you think about this family, God's family. And it says some great things about Job that I would love for God to say about me, right? I could just take the first line. And I'd be okay. There was a man from us. There lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright and feared God and it stayed away from evil. If God could just say that about me, right? Can you imagine being the guy in town that God can say this about? 
So if you want an example of a believer, look at Job down in Uz. A little small town. It's not that much, but Job is there. Right? He's an upright man. What else does it say about him? Verse 2, would you read with me? That's good, ain't it? If God could say that about me. He was not only a good Christian, but he was successful. He had a perfect family. Seven boys, three girls. Right? Everything was right. Lots of cars in the garage. Everything was working fine. He was the greatest man in the East. People knew Job. They looked up to Job. Job was a dedicated man. How dedicated? Let's read the rest of it. Now, so, so far they were eating and drinking. I don't know. They were drinking. Oh, they still was called the best family in the land. Okay. The sons were something. They would have birthday parties. Seven of them. That's seven times a year they party. Get the girls to come over and have a great time. The father allowed that. They had a pretty big place probably, right? But they would do that. What else? This was Job's regular custom. Job was a great parent, would you say? He spiritually covered his children. Is that a good thing? He did the things that were necessary to make sure he kept a spiritual covering over his family. However, there was still something wrong. We don't know it in these passages because we see the story that happens next. The devil comes and wants to test him. And we don't really understand why. I don't either, all of it. But I think one of these, one of the points of this story is, here's a guy who had the wrong picture of what it meant to worship God. We're going to talk about it in a second. I know that's tough right there. All those things you say about him, and he had the wrong picture? He thought that to keep his life together and happy and successful, all he had to do was make sure he did all the right religious stuff. So it was his custom. That if I don't know what my children did, I just got up every morning and gave an offering. Just in case. And because success was happening, I think it's working. Because many of us see our life like that. If I'm successful, God must be blessing me. If I'm not successful, something must have went wrong and maybe God's mad at me. Some of us got that view of God. And we look at other people's life and think, well, you know, you must have done something wrong if God's bringing you through all of this trouble. That's what Job's friends thought. Soon as he suffers loss, soon as he goes through suffering personally, his friends begin to say, Job, 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 you've obviously done something wrong to make God mad. Job says, well, I haven't done anything. They say, you're lying. I know God would not just punish somebody like he's punishing you unless they seriously done something wrong. And for 40 or 38 chapters, I don't know how long it was in months or days or years, but for 38 chapters, he's arguing with his friends about why he's in this situation. His friends are counseling him. Something, you had to do something wrong, Joe. Surely there's a hidden sin in your life. Surely you've gotten off somewhere. Job, do you understand that if you confess it before God, he'll straighten it all out? Because that's how he is. Job and his friends had a wrong picture of God. And Job, his life was a testimony to his neighbors of what it takes to please God. But it was still misleading. Did you know that God is not happy with our religious service? Sacrifice and offerings have not required of you, desired of you. But I want a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Is that right? That you know that coming to church is good. But it doesn't mean that you are in right, right, in right standards with God just because you come to church. Coming to church more often won't fix your life. 
Did you know that a regular prayer life won't just fix your life? Praying by routine won't do it. And you and I can get church all turned around sometime and our church becomes the wrong thing. It becomes the representation of what we think a right relationship with God is. And Job here is challenged after 38 chapters, suffering and hurting and trying to explain it. In the 40th chapter, 39th and 40th chapter, God speaks. And God says to Job, Job, do you know who I am? Have you really thought about who I am? Who made the morning stars? Who holds the ocean back? Where is the snow stored until I send it? Who controls the sea monsters, nature? He asked Job those questions because Job's picture of God was wrong. God was trying to give him a different view of him. If you and I are going to get better in our lives as Christians, we have to change our view of God. We have to elevate our picture of God. It's something when we don't understand that he is always with us, we're always afraid. It's something where we think that we can separate ourselves from him because we do wrong. Then we live trying to make sure that we do everything necessary so he won't leave us. And that's a wrong approach to God. Does that make sense? Okay. Here are some signs of a person who has a wrong picture of God. Now, this may not be complete, all of them, but this is enough to get us started. Number one, if you're trying hard instead of being transformed, if you're doing everything you can to live right and it's hard, you probably have a wrong picture of God. Number two, if you think suffering and hardship is a sign of your holiness and godliness, I'm going through this because God wants me to go through it so he can get the glory. You probably have a wrong picture of God. God don't need you to go through nothing. He needs you to trust him. Number three, if you feel like you need to defend the gospel rather than proclaim it, people want to talk to you about the Bible or about God, and you feel defensive because they believe different than you or because they don't think the way you think. If you feel like you need to defend it, you probably have the wrong view of God. And number four, if you're afraid of being outside of God's will instead of trusting him to guide you, I say to people, listen, where you are right now is the right place. And you have to accept that. What you're doing right now is the right thing. And you have to accept that. What you're going through right now is exactly where you ought to be. And you have to accept that. Well, Tony, that's kind of wicked. How can you say that? Well, I can't say that if you haven't been living right. If you've been obeying God to the best of your ability and you find yourself in trouble, in difficulties, you're in the right place. But if you've been disobedient and not following what you know of God, then maybe you're not in the right place. But I think it was Peter who said, if you suffer through difficulties... And it's not deserved. You didn't do anything wrong. Then count that as God and you're sharing with Christ in his sufferings. But if you suffer as a wrongdoer, now you got issues. Go make that thing right so God can fix it. Does that make sense? So when you and I think about our life, a lot of Christians hate making decisions because they're afraid that they're going to be outside of God's will. 
I'm saying if you elevate your view of God, you will understand God is sovereign. You can't be outside of his will. If you trust God, you can't be outside of his will. If you're disobedient, yes, that's outside of his will. But if you obey what you know and do the best you know, God takes responsibility to guide you the rest of the way. You and I just have to be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Is that right? Sometimes we don't want to make decisions because we're afraid of being wrong. If you trust God, you can make decisions. You make them based on the best information you have to the best of your ability with the best position you are in right now, and you, you stand with it. And if it doesn't work, God himself will correct you. Is that right? But if you don't make decisions, if you refuse to make a decision, you won't know him very clearly. Change, according to the Bible, Romans chapter 12. You've heard this one, change, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And do not be conformed, right, to the pattern of the world, but do what? Be transformed. How? It starts in your mind. Your mind holds a picture of God. Your mind holds what you think is an understanding of what's required of God. Your mind is the thing that helps guide you into making the decisions you're making. And the Bible's in Romans says, it starts in your mind. How many of you know the Bible says also, let this mind be in you? That was also in Christ Jesus. How many of you know that? That it starts with your mind. It doesn't start with your ideal and behavior of what you think is right. It starts with you and I aligning our mind with what God said is right and what's right about him and falling in line with that. Starts with how you and I think it. But listen, if you and I have preconceived notions and ideals and experience, we make the mistake of judging the word of God through our own experiences. For example, the Bible says you should love your neighbor. How many of you know that? Right now, the problem with that one scripture, if I didn't go any further than that, is what all of us think love is. Some would think loving them is, well, you know, you love them, but that don't mean you have to be around them. Some of us would think love is being kind to them, but not going out of your way if they don't want to do right. I mean, we got all kinds of understandings and ideals of how we apply the meanings of words through our own experiences to the word of God. But the Bible challenges us that you and I have to be willing to be corrected in the way we think by understanding the word of God and being willing to exchange it for our own. Does that make sense? So I've heard people say, well, you know, Tony, you can love people, but you don't have to like them. I don't know if that's in the Bible, right? So here, I want to end up with a scripture that I know is kind of challenging. And this is in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Now, I stopped at these few words Because these are the tough words that I want to leave you with. And I want to give one just illustration of it and then we'll be done, okay? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. Now, after Hebrews, Hebrews has been talking about the majesty of Christ, the power of Christ, the authority of Christ, right? Hebrews has been spending a lot of time trying to get us the right picture of who Jesus is. And then when he gets to chapter 11, he gives his long testimony of all these people who had great faith, Right. And this this cloud of witnesses, it calls in the first verse of chapter 12. Since you have all of those people who demonstrate what faith is, you got a cloud of witnesses that encourages you. You know, it's better. Pastor, talk about the home court advantage. It's better if you got fans in the stands cheering for you. Right. So that's what this scripture is. You got people cheering for you, folks who understand what it means to trust God. 
And some of them went through hard, difficult times, and they never really saw the outcome in fullness of what they were going through. But they still trusted, right? Does that make sense? So in chapter 12, he's encouraging you and I now as the believers. So after he does a couple things, he says this in verse number seven. What's the first words? They're up there. As. Now, this was tough for me. So that's why I'm trying not to be too animated because I'm not very good at this either. You want me to endure hardness and you're not defining what that is. And you want me to look at it and accept it as discipline. Let me straighten out the word discipline first because, you know, when I grew up, discipline was not a good thing. I didn't really want to be disciplined. My mother was uh, some kind of discipline. That meant something to me, right? So when I first look at the word discipline in the Bible, I impose my own thought. Is that right? So I had to let God teach me. What you mean by discipline? Because my mother's discipline, um, I don't know, right? But I understand that the word discipline means teaching and training. It doesn't mean that you're going to get a whooping. It means teaching and training. In other words, God wants to teach you and train you. So he's saying endure hard situations and look at them as God is training you and teaching you. Now, that's still kind of hard, though, because the situation could be very difficult. It could even be unfair. It could be someone is really doing me wrong. It could be you're in jail and it's going to take till Monday to get out. But he said endure hardness. Endure it. When they have done you wrong, you have two options. Fight it or endure it. Stand up for yourself, the world would say. They cheated you on the promotion? Don't just sit there. Go to the HR and complain. That's what the world would say. You're in the job and you've been here a little bit longer and look like they're overlooking you for a promotion. Fight for your promotion. That's what the world would say. And you'll have to make a decision. Is that the right answer? But this verse says, endure hardness. Here's an example. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. They did him wrong. They did him terribly wrong. There's no excuse for it. And he found himself where he didn't want to be. But in the end, Joseph said, hey, you thought this was going to profit for evil. But God took the evil thing and made it good. He told his brothers, you didn't sell me into slavery. God sent me ahead of you. Man, what an outlook. What a view. He understood that God is sovereign and bigger than his circumstances. He understood that God is more powerful than his enemies. He understood that great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He didn't let his situation dictate the direction of his life. He was able to see, and I can't imagine what he had to go through to get to that conclusion. Because you know the story, he was sold into slavery, he was in prison for quite a few years, but he never stopped interpreting dreams. He never stopped doing what he knew he was gifted to do. He still worked as unto the Lord, and that's what got him promoted up out of there. And even when the woman did him wrong and lied on him again and got him put back in there, he could have stood up and complained. He had every right to. Do you understand that I've been here for years and I've never done nothing? Come on, someone stand up for me. But he didn't. He went to prison. And God delivered him out again at the right time. Is that right? And you and I now read his story and we're pretty excited. 
But I can guarantee if Joseph were going through that and talking to you, Joseph would have said to you, I don't have any understanding of how God's going to make a good thing out of this. I'm not betting on that. I can believe Joseph would have said to you, this is just going to be a waste of my life. This is going to amount to nothing in the end. Joseph didn't know stories are going to be written and told about him that would inspire your faith. Is that right? Here's one that really helped me. I was reading in the book of Acts about this guy named Stephen. Y'all know him? You know him? He is good. So look, in the Bible, this guy was a deacon. And he stood up and preached the gospel. And they got mad at him and took him outside and started throwing, stoning him. And it, was, it wasn't that simple. It was violent when you read it. That they took him outside and stoned him and they were so mad they start falling upon him and biting him. What kind of thing puts a person in that kind of rage? But they did. They fell upon him and bite him. Stoned him. And what really encouraged me, the Bible says, he looked steadfast up to heaven. Smiling. And I wondered for myself, what in the world does he see that allows him to endure that kind of pain? What does he know? that I don't know from reading what I've been reading, that allowed him to endure that kind of pain. There is something, you guys, that's higher than you and I, that's bigger than you and I, that allows us to go through and come out victorious, regardless of the situation. And if we're going to be able to be overcomers and conquer, we'll have to change our view of God. And lastly, the scripture says this, the next slide. How do you do that? You fix your eyes on Jesus. It's not about the following the rules. It's not about what you and I think. It's about who he is and what God has done for us through him. It's about becoming more like him and allowing him to change us into the image of Christ. He is the author and the pioneer, the pioneer it says, and the perfecter of our faith. When you and I in a situation, however tough it is, I'm challenging you to raise your view of God. Let him do what he's trying to do in your life. It may not feel good. may not look good. You may not even predict the good that's going to come from it. But you don't know if your story is going to be the story that changes someone else's life. You don't know if God is still writing testimonies of the word of God through your life that other people can see and thereby be changed. Does that make sense? So listen, I just think that at the end of every message, not because Tony did it, but at the end of every message, you got two questions. Okay, God, what did I hear? Okay. And lastly, what do I do with what I heard? I can't tell you what to do. I don't know your position and your view and your challenges. But I do know God knows them. And he speaks to your heart. So whatever it is God is saying to you, you don't have to do anything performance-wise. But while they play, while they sing, while you are meditating upon it, I'm challenging you to ask God, help me to see you differently. You're King of King and Lord of Lords. You're an awesome God. You're the most powerful, the most awesome. You are the one who holds the world in your hand. Help me to stop seeing you as someone who's looking to punish me or make me follow some rules and control my life. But help me to see you differently. 
raise, elevate your view of God. And as we pray and close out, if you need special prayer, certainly there are folks who are here who will pray with you. But you can do most of this sitting right where you are while they sing. Thank you for listening to City Life Church Podcast. 